We'll get back to uh, Heartbreak Ridge in a minute, but kudos to the editing department for that clip, <laughs> if you've seen it. Uh, start a new series this morning as we kick off the fall season. I uh, love the fall. Uh, started so many new things. Uh, start of a football season uh, and, uh, with the title Battle Ready. I'm sure all of you are hoping that your football team is battle ready. And if you liked that intro music because of your favorite team, you realized your team wasn't battle-ready this past weekend. <laughs> Go Monarchs. Um, <clears throat> but it's a new school season, and uh, all the battles that it is to face there, and there's uh, kind of an excitement about uh, school as well as a fear that comes along with it with uh, a new school, uh, new opportunities. There's something about sort of a new school year I've always loved. It's like you're you have the opportunity to reinvent yourself every year at school, especially when you're switching from elementary to middle or middle to high school or switching school districts. You just have an opportunity to start over. Uh, there's a whole new set of teachers who don't know who you are and don't know the problems you may have had last year. You get to really, truly start fresh, which is what I always liked about a new season. Um, and some of you are looking forward to this uh, fall season with some new things starting in your life. Uh, Jewel right now in our, is learning how to have conversations. You don't know I have an autistic daughter named Jewel. And so she's learning how to have conversations, one thing they work on we're with. And so she likes to have conversations about things that she knows. And she doesn't know a lot of things, but she knows the days of the week. And so she'll come to me almost every day and she'll say, Dad, do you know what tomorrow is? And I'll say, yes. Tomorrow is whatever you make it. It is the first day of the rest of your life. Tomorrow... <laughs> is a blank slate. As a matter of fact, it is a blank page. It stands before you. The rest is still unwritten. <laughs> what you do with it is up to you. And she'll go, nah, tomorrow's Monday. <laughs> and in having that conversation one day, it was sort of like one of those Forrest Gump moments. You know how Forrest would say something that was on a complete Forrest Gump basic level? But yet, you as an audience, because of what you know beyond what Forrest would know, see something more profound and deep. And it's sort of like, you know, on the one hand, I want to believe that tomorrow is a new day and it's full of possibilities and the new football season is upon us and last year's behind us. But, and then somebody comes in and goes, yeah, but tomorrow's Monday. With all of the Monday things that Monday brings. And while Jewel just thinks tomorrow is Monday, to an adult, Monday represents a whole lot more than just the day of the week. It represents all of the problems. It represents the end of the weekend. I just wish Monday would never come. I wish the weekend would last longer. And on a weekend like this, at least Monday doesn't mean all of that because Monday's a holiday, thank God. But in this week, Tuesday's the new Monday, and then you get right back to every other Monday. And that may be jaded, but it's real, isn't it? I mean, it's just the real truth about life. We all have this idea, this hope that there's going to be this season of life where everything gets better. It's like that meme that says adulting is nothing more than every week saying, in just a few more weeks, everything's going to really slow down. Right? It, parenting is nothing more than assuming that the next stage of parenting, it's got to be easier than this one. Right? We look at other parents with kids at a further stage than ours, and we look at them with envy to think of us, oh, I just can't wait till my kids start school. I mean, I know you're like, oh full-day kindergarten, man, if only they weren't here all day. 
and you have no idea of what it's like to have a you know, kindergarten, first, second grade, or third grade, and all the hard challenges of that, or all of the girls they're going to have to deal with in fourth and fifth grade, and they're you know, backbiting and gossiping and talking about your kids, and she's not my friend anymore, and all of that kind of stuff that is far beyond your control. Back when they were all home, I could control their world. Now I have no control over the bullies and the meanies at school. And then I'd say you'd look forward to middle school, but I don't think anybody looks forward to middle school. Let's just skip over that. But Looking forward to high school where now you can wear baseball hats to school and the menu is a little bit better at lunch and there's activities and eventually I can drive and you're thinking to yourself, man, once my kids can drive, I won't have to drive them everywhere. And you, there's always these utopian ideas that the next stage is going to be so much easier. And you're thinking, you know, for some of you right now are thinking, all my kids are finally out of the house. I can now relax. They're no longer my problem. The laughter is from those who have been there and know that ain't true. They're always your problem, right? In other words, we're always looking forward to this time when life will slow down, when it'll be easier, when there's no more battles to fight, when I can just cruise. And you already know the reality of this. You never get to that point. That never happens. And, and which is why when I, I read this passage a couple of years ago, uh, was when we were doing a series on uh, fear, and I don't know how it came up in the fear series or where it came from, uh, but it's one of those passages you read that's just disturbing. And if you know, the more you know about your Bible, the more disturbing the passage is. Uh, it, it's in the book of Judges. And uh, Judges uh, chapter 3 begins off and it says, these are the nations God left there. Now, before I go any further in what we see that God leaves here, I, I want to go back to just right before this, okay? So Judges comes right after the book called Joshua. And to kind of let you know where we're at in the history of Israel, uh, we'll pick up where people are enslaved in Egypt, and Moses comes, and he leads the people, and he says to Pharaoh, what? Let my people go. All right, so you know where we're at in the story. Let my people go. And so they've been enslaved 400 years, 400 years of slavery. Moses comes along after 10 plagues that come across Egypt, which takes quite some time. Eventually, Pharaoh kicks them out. They go out into the sea. They finally think they're free, but what happens? They turn around and they see Pharaoh's army coming after them. Uh, at that point, God splits open the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is swallowed up behind them. They think to themselves, oh, finally, we are rid of that. We can finally now be at peace. And what happens? They are out in the wilderness and they're afraid to go to battle, and so what happens? They end up wandering for the next 40 years until that entire generation dies off, and so they don't have peace yet. They're not in the promised land yet. They end up having to wander for 40-some-odd years. Then Joshua comes along. Moses dies, and Joshua rises up, and Joshua leads them to conquest the land, but it's not an easy conquest. It's going to take actual battles to be fought. Uh, the only battle that I think was easy was the Jericho one. All the rest of them won, they had to fight. So they enter into Jericho right in the middle of the land. They do the middle of the country. They go to the southern country, the northern country. It takes about seven long years of nothing but battle, 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 battle. And they're all looking forward to the time when it can be finally be over and we can all just rest. And so when you get to the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 23, Joshua gives this speech. Um, it's a speech, many people know the ending of it. The ending of it is where he says, uh, choose for yourself what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, the very beginning of that speech, I want to go back. So that was Joshua 24, where he says, as for, as for me and my house. The beginning of that speech in Joshua 23, the very end of the book, he says, after a long time had passed, long time, as in 400 years plus 40 years plus seven, after a long time had passed, a long, long time season. Some of you all have gone through a very long season of hardship. And after this long season of hardship had passed, it says the Lord God had given Israel rest from all of their enemies around them. And it's just like, oh, we did it. We did it. We're out of slavery. 
We're out of the wilderness. The battle is over. We can finally all go home to our own place and we can be at rest. Is there anything better than resting after a hard day's work? Is there anything better than resting after you've gone through a very hard conflict of just being able to just relax and just sit there and know that you can just sleep? You can sleep in. Oh, when was the last time you got to sleep in, some of you, all right? Just, just to be able to rest, right? So they get to rest. Well, that's how the book of Joshua ends. The very next book is Judges. And Judges uh, 1 and 2 kind of gives some of the background information. And right as they're sort of summarizing up, the, the very end of the background summarization of this next era that comes is Judges 3, which is where we're going to pick up. And they look around and they see that there's some problems in the midst of their rest. And they're asking God, what, what are, what, what's going on here, God? I thought, that, I thought we, 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 we did the we did the slavery thing, we did the wandering thing, we fought the battles thing, I, I thought it was time to rest, it doesn't seem like we're getting a whole lot of rest, uh, we've been looking forward to this season, what's, what's going on, what, what are all these other people doing here? And uh, it says, these are the nations that God left there, using them to test the Israelites who had no experience in the Canaanite wars. He did it to train the descendants of Israel, those ones who had no battle experience. He did it to train them in the art of war. He left the five Philistine tyrants and all of the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites, all living in the Mount of Lebanon and the Mount of Baal Hermon uh, and at Hamas Pass. In other words, all around them are these other nations. Um, it says, and they were there to test Israel to see whether or not they would obey God's commands that were given to their parents through Moses. But the people of Israel made themselves at home among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Prezites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And they married their daughters and gave their own daughters and sons in marriage, and they worshiped their gods. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but this kind of story is disturbing because they were so looking forward to this rest, and then when they finally got there, they finally got to that stage, whatever you think that stage of life is going to be, getting out of the toddler stage, getting into middle school, getting into high school, getting them out of the house, getting to the, your retirement years, getting that promotion, whatever it is where you think that, man, if I can just make another $20,000, we can just get, you know, combined income, let's see if we can do this, if we can just do that, we'll be set. No, you won't. More stuff comes in. If I can just get this paid off, then we'll be, per oh, things will be perfect then. No, 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 you won't because then braces, bra braces happen. You didn't know about braces, but braces are going to happen. There's always something around the corner that's unexpected. Now, what bothers me is the very fact that these nations didn't just like come in on their own. And you, it wasn't like a moment where you say, God, how did this happen? And God's like, I did that. No, 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 that's not what God's supposed to do. God's not supposed to be there causing the problems in my life, right? God, I, I like those worship songs like Defender. Remember the, the Defender song? Like, you go before me, even before I know there's a battle to fight, you're out there fighting the battle on my behalf. Like, uh, sometimes I, I, I picture God, like when I'm walking through the jungles of life, this was kind of the idea, the picture I had. God says, you know, follow my word. Don't turn from the right or to the left. When you're walking through the jungles of life, God's there before you with a machete, and he's just chopping things down, so it makes you a clear path right through the jungles of life. Amen, amen, amen. And you get out there, and you're like, where the heck did God go? Where, where did he go? I, I, don't, I don't see the path. And then you just look down, and all you see is a machete. It's like, yeah, yeah, y y you go. What? And then you get through, and all of a sudden you find this village. Oh, this must be the friendly village that God wants for me. Nope, 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 nope. No, it's not a friendly village. No, no, no. They don't like you at all. You have to fight your way through this one to get to the next jungle. 
And you're like, God, what happened? I, I must have taken a detour. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're right where I want you to be. But all these people, clearly you didn't want them here, God, because you were leading us to the promised land. Yeah, it's the promised land. It's where I wanted you to be. I didn't tell you there wouldn't be any problems here. Why, why God? Why would you put us in this place? And he comes back, he's because you're not battle ready. What do I need to be battle ready for? Right? I mean, if there's no battles, and you're going to fight them on battle on behalf, I don't need to be battle ready. But there's a problem when you're battle ready. Now, Heartbreak Ridge. I, I put that one out there because that's, that's the first one I remember as a kid. If, if, you know, that kind of sets kind of my era, the uh, first time I really remember a movie with that storyline. But let's face it, that storyline has been played out again and again. I mean, how many stories do you know of a ragtag group of individuals who somebody has to come in and get them in line, whether they're soldiers or whether it's a ball team, football team, baseball team, little league team, right? Uh, whether it's a Sergeant Highway or Sergeant Hartman, Sergeant Holka, some of y'all know those, or Major Payne, okay? Now I get where this whole crowd is. All right, fine, that's all right. Um, anybody know Sergeant Hartman? Anybody? Full metal jacket? Holka? Stripes? Right? Okay. Major Payne, y'all get that one because that was easy, softball. All right, yeah. We watch those movies because, you know, we like seeing that transformation, and usually there's some sort of cut scene where you start off, and, and what does a group of people who are not battle-ready look like? I mean, they're always uh, undisciplined, untrained, right? Uh, they don't know what they were supposed to know, uh, and they're always arrogant about uh, how they're living. They're always out of shape. They're unmotivated, right? And there's usually this cut scene, like a cut scene is where the song plays, you know, whether it be Mulan, you know, and she's out training, whatever, there's always a Rocky, you know, and he's there doing the push-ups with one arm, he's beating, this, you know, slabs of meat, right? There's always that one cut scene, it usually lasts about one song, where the sergeant's getting him into shape, and he's whipping him up for battle, and they're all ready, and now this group of ragtag individuals is now the most elite fighting force, so now the best team in the league, right, because of the transformation that's gone around, because now they're battle ready. When you think about it, that whole idea of being undisciplined, untrained, unmotivated, arrogant and out of shape, does that describe your spiritual life at all? Really? I mean, it kind of does. Like, I want to pray more, I just don't really think about it. You know, the day gets away from me. I want to start my day off with prayer, maybe a little bit of Bible study, but you know, I, I, I find it hard. I, I want to, you know, see if I can pray. I'm gonna, this week, I'm going to pray every day to start off my day. And it lasts for like, what, two, three days, four days, five days? There's the discipline is always hard to keep after. I'm going to read my Bible every day, said almost nobody ever, or actually done almost never, right? Why? Because the discipline's always an issue, and so because we're, we're untrained, we're unmotivated. I mean, why do I really have to do it? Why does it matter? I mean, you know, I got other things going on. There's more things that are more pressing than that, after all, because there's other things that are a greater priority in my life. After all, the kids are screaming, the dog needs to go out. I need coffee. We got to get off to work. I didn't realize it was going to be like this. School's starting a whole lot earlier than I thought it was. The bus is supposed to be here in, in 20 minutes, and now it seems like it's early this morning. I just, I don't have time in my day for it, and so we're untrained. We're unmotivated. We're undisciplined. There's also a little bit of arrogance about our spiritual life sometimes. Sometimes we think we're a lot further along with God than we really are, right? Out of shape. We're definitely not in fighting mode when it comes to being ready for a battle. It's like, I mean, how many of us are ready to face anything? God, you can throw whatever you want. As a matter of fact, how about this, God? I'm ready for it. Whatever you want to do, do it. How about this? You unleash Satan on my life over the next five months because there's nothing he can't throw at me that I can't handle with you. That's where I'm at, God. Anybody here dumb enough to say that? <laughs> if you are, you hadn't read enough scripture to see what all that can happen. But that's exactly what happens. 
is, is eventually God's going to lead you to a battle to fight. Now here's the other thing about this is sometimes we get to the idea, uh, if you keep me, we had an outdoor service last week and I had to uh, mess with my mic to get it to where I can actually hear and I really messed up the whole thing so that's why it keeps falling off my ear. But uh, when I think about a battle to fight, the other thing that I, I messed up in life is something else that we kind of see in here is that they were fighting all these battles. It got to the point where finally it was over. I used to, years ago, when I, when I look at my relationship with the book of Job, when I was a kid, I remember reading about the book of Job. I was like, wow, sure stinks to be that guy. I mean, you know, to have all that stuff happen in his life, I'm, thank God I'm not Job, right? I mean, th- amen to that. I'm, I'm glad he went through it so we could learn his lessons. I'm just glad we don't all have to go through that. Well, then the older I got, you know, I got out into the world and I began to realize that Job isn't a one-off. Uh, Job isn't just some unlucky person who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and have all hell unleashed on his life. What I began to realize is it seems like the more I talk to other people and then what I experienced in my own life early on is I think everybody goes through a Job experience. Everybody has a season of life where it's like as if God says, hey, or sorry, where Satan comes to God and like, hey, God, can I pick on them for a little while? And God's like, I'll allow it. Anybody ever been through a season where you felt like that's what was going on? And so, because of that, I preached a message at, uh, many years ago before we started Essential, and the, the title of the sermon series is called My Job Story, because I had been through a situation like what Job had gone through. But here was the problem with that. I believe that everybody went through a Job-like experience at some point in their life, but I only thought you went through one. And so I was thinking to myself very naively, well, thank God I got that out of the way in my 20s. And this is long before I realized I had a special needs child, long before the death of a wife, the abandonment of a wife, long before any of that stuff ever happened in my life. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I've gotten my hard part over. I can now sort of cruise and rest and just enjoy and teach other people what I learned from that one time when I went through something way back when. And it's like, oh, no, 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 you got into the promised land. But in the promised land didn't mean there wasn't going to be any more battles to fight. Battles were only beginning, big guy. <laughs> the problem is, you've gotten to the place where you forgot what it was like to fight that battle. And you've become out of shape, undisciplined, arrogant, unmotivated. And I can't have that. And so I'm going to allow some things to come into your life that's going to keep you in a place, in a posture where I need you to be. This is why, God, why would you do that? And it says, they were there to test Israel to see whether or not they would obey God's commands that were given through their parents to Moses. See, when you have a battle to fight, attention to detail matters. You can't overlook the little things because those things are going to be the things that come back and bite you in the butt. Those are going to be the things that break when you need them most. Uh, you don't have the luxury of being careless. Uh, you don't have the... Uh, everything is intentional about what you have to do because everything that you're bringing along that you don't need eventually is going to get in the way. And when you're battle ready, you cut through all the stuff that you don't need and you go with just the stuff that is pertinent, just the stuff that is relevant to what you need. Now, for instance, in a spiritual battle lines, prayer isn't something you're trying to make sure you have time for. When you're going through a spiritual battle, prayer is not just a daily thing. Like, remember when you just like, man, I just need to, I just need to pray every single day. When you're going through a spiritual battle, you'll find that prayer is not a struggle to do every day. 
As a matter of fact, it's not something you do just once a day. Rather, you're praying all day long. Why? Because life is breaking you down to your knees where you cry out and go, God, I can't do this anymore. God, help me. God, I don't know where I'm going to go. God, I don't know how this next day is going to go. God, I don't know if I can continue. And so every single day you're praying like you never prayed before. Reading the Bible, that, that's no longer a chore. That's no longer a have to. I'm looking for answers, man. You say this is an answer book, show me. I'm hungry right now. I'm starving. I'm desperate. God, I'm open up your word. I know what it means to live. When Jesus says, uh, uh, man should not live on, on bread, but on the word of God, it comes out of something like that. Anyways, when he's going through an issue in, in the wilderness, um, and, and Satan tries to tempt him with, with some bread, he says, you know, for man should not live on bread alone, but the word of God. Every you know, word of God is what, is what he's living on. He's literally eating the word of God. He's living on that sustenance. When you're going through a difficult trial, you'll begin to be looking to God's word for a hope that you can't find anymore. And you'll begin to find words out, like out, out of Isaiah, uh, I think it's chapter 40, 42, where he says, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, they will be with you. The waves will not sweep over you. You begin to read that kind of stuff and say, God, I'm reading this and I'm trusting in you for this because right now it feels like everything is coming on top of me. Worship isn't just a Sunday morning thing that you may or may not participate in or maybe come in a little bit late for it. Worship during those seasons of spiritual battles is something you're listening to every single day to get your mindset so you can constantly be encouraged and reminded of who God is and what is before you. Because I need that message of God, you are with me, and God, you will be there with me to fight these battles, and I'm not alone in the midst of this. Because what happens when you're fighting battles is you begin to realize a couple things. In order to make it through the battle, you need to know a couple things. Number one, that God loves you. Um, that God is right there with you no matter what it is that you face. God was basically saying, listen, I'm going to put these obstacles in your path, these battles around you, so that when you fight them, you'll know I am there with you. Because you won't know my presence until you go through a battle like this. You won't know my presence and how much I love you and care for you until you've seen me actually fight for you on your behalf. The story of somebody else getting through something, while that's wonderful and encouraging, it's not the same as when God does it for you firsthand. And so while the stories of your parents were wonderful and encouraging, it's different when you're the one living it out. One thing I love about Celebrate Recover, about to celebrate our fourth year coming up, is there's a testimony every other week of somebody else who's fought that battle and has won. And that's really encouraging. But it's nothing like my own testimony of where I've seen God firsthand show up in my life again and again and again. Also, if you're going to get through that spiritual battle, you need to be reminded daily, this life is not all there is. That the rest that I'm looking for doesn't come this side of eternity. Over in the book of Hebrews, he brings the same concept of rest back up. It's a Hebrews chapter four. And it says, you know, they were looking for this rest. And when they got into the promised land, they thought they found this rest, but they realized they didn't have this rest yet. And so in the book of Hebrews, he says, the rest that, that they were looking for, the rest that your soul is longing for only comes on the other side of eternity. And it's a rest that Jesus Christ has fought a battle so you could ultimately enjoy for all eternity. That rest will come, but it doesn't come this side of eternity. In other words, there's going to be battle after battle after battle to fight, and you will not enter that rest this side of eternity. There's never going to be a long, uh, unending season where there's no battles, there's no hardships. It's just not going to happen. So get your mind read. It's going to be on the other side of eternity, just not this side. You can read about it all over in the Hebrews chapter 4. And he says, so what do we need to do? We need to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's something I found through the different trials I went through, is my relationship with God on the other side of them so much deeper. I would like to say that in the peaceful times and in the successful times and in the easy times, I would like to say, you know, I had so much more free time, I could really devote myself to reading some more books. I could really devote myself to reading the scripture a little bit more. I did a lot more study when I had some easy periods of life. I wish I could say that was true. What's the reality, though, for all of us? 
you're never closer to God than when you're going through a trial. You're never closer to God than when you're going through a battle. It's not until you have a fight to fight that you desperately are crying out and reaching out for and looking to God. And I wish that weren't true. See, so many of us, we fear our failures, but it's not the failures that lead to the problems in your life. It's the successes. Because you have these successes and you get to the point where you think, okay, my battles are over. I don't need to fight anymore. I can get complacent. Is that not where David makes his biggest mistake, if you know the story of David? It says, right before he makes the big, this is talking about one of the kings in Israel, one of the most famous kings in Israel. Uh, He makes his biggest mistake we read about. It says, at the time when the kings would go off to war, David stayed at home. Why? He fought his battles, man. I mean, there'd been nobody like him. There'd been no warrior in all of Israel like him up until that point. And so when it came to just another year, another season of battles, like, you know, I can sit this one out, man. I can take this year off. You know, I fought those things. The rest of y'all do it. I don't have to do this no more. You play that seniority game. It's funny, a lot of seniors this year, a lot of you right now, you don't realize it, but between now and the end of the school year, a lot of you will quit coming to youth group. You just will. You know, that's kid stuff, man. I don't need this anymore. You know, yeah, I remember we've been doing this for years. I, I don't need this. I'm looking ahead to the future. And that drift that begins because of your arrogance is going to come back to bite you. It always does. You're never more vulnerable than when you have the arrogance of thinking you're in the best place of your life. Is that not true? For most of us, it's our successes and the good times that trip us up. And so why does God do this? Well, Job comes to this realization. In Job 23, 10, he says this, God knows the way that I take. And the way that he's taken is this path that's led him through every kind of calamity you can imagine in his life. He's lost his kids, he's lost his health, he's lost his finances, he's lost his job, he's lost, his friends have turned on him. And he says, God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I'll be better for the path that I've gone down. Over, over in 1 Peter, he says this. This is another guy who Satan said, or Jesus says the same thing to Peter uh, that happens back in the book of Job. The book of Job begins with Satan going to God and saying, hey, can I mess with him a little bit? And God says, okay, I'll allow it. Do you remember what, what, what Jesus says to Peter? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and it's coming for you, man. It's going to happen. And you see Peter, undisciplined, arrogant, stands up. Everybody else might you know, turn their back on you, Jesus. I never will. I'm always going to be here. And what does Jesus say to him? Before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny you even know me. He thought he was battle ready. He wasn't. He thought he was battle ready, which is why he whipped out a sword and was hacking away. He's like, no, no, no. That's not the kind of fight you're going to have to be fighting. That's the other thing. You don't know the kind of fight you're going to fight. And that's the thing about my Job stories is each one of them were so different and unique. And while I learned some lessons that helped me in the next one, the next one required new skills and new levels of faith each step of the way. So Peter later on says this, in all of this, all of these battles you're fighting, he says you can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, it seems like a little bit longer than a little while, Peter, in light of all eternity, it's a little while. So for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials or battles or temptations or testings, whatever it may be. It says, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in the praise and the glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled, you trust him, and you are filled with inexpressible joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's only in trials that you know two things. 
who or what you love or trust and who or what loves or trusts you, right? You have a lot of people who are friends and then you went through a difficult time, they're not friends anymore because you realize they never really were friends because people say, you know, when you go through difficult times, that's when you realize who your real friends are. And God's saying, I'm going to put you through some things where you ultimately realize I'm the greatest friend you got. There's no friend like me. There's nobody who will be here with you. Nobody who will never leave you like me. I'll be here through everything. Also, you realize who you really trust. Now, to trust and look to something other than God in the scriptures, that's called idol worship. An idol is anything you look to other than God as your primary sense of meaning, identity, or happiness. In other words, anything else you look to, to to drive your primary sense of meaning, identity, or happiness. It could be your family. It could be a, a dating relationship or marriage relationship. It could be your kids. It could be success. It could be a promotion. It could be work. Uh, anything can, can become your idol. Jonah, when he is in the belly of the whale, he has this epiphany, this understanding about our relationship with God, and he says this. He says, those who cling to worthless idols have turned away from God's love for them. In other words, when I'm looking to one of those things to be my ultimate sense of joy, peace, happiness, meaning, fulfillment, identity, ultimately what's happening is I'm looking to them overlooking to God. And God's going to put battles in your life that show you just how worthless that is, just how empty that is, just how temporal that is. And that's exactly what happens in the period of Judges. God's putting these battles in their life to test them to see, do you really love me? The last thing Joshua asks, the last question he says is, listen, Will you follow after God or will you serve all of the idols around you in your land? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know what the people said back? Oh, we're going to serve God. Oh, we're, def- oh, we're on God's team. Yeah, we're definitely going to do this. And God says, okay, let's see it. And so what does he say in the next chapter? In Judges 3, all right, I'll put some battles in your way. Let's see what you really trust. And what's it say happens? It says the Israelites lived among the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Prezites and the Hivites and Jebusites. How did they live among them? Remember, they were supposed to fight these people. They weren't supposed to live among them. They were supposed to fight these people and win the battle. But instead, they compromised. They sought a peace out of compromise in who they were and what their values were. And it says, and they uh, joined them. They joined their families together in, in, in marriage, and they began to serve their gods. When you begin to look to other things other than God for your sense of meaning, purpose, happiness, and fulfillment, identity, eventually you're going to find all of that can be taken. All of that can be lost when the battle actually starts. Every one of the battles I've faced, every idol I've ever put before God, everything I've looked to without even realizing I looked to them to be more important than God, without even realizing I was doing it, every one of those has been taken away. God's going to continue to put battles in your life. So be ready for them. They're going to come. It's going to show you just how out of shape, undisciplined, and arrogant you truly are about where you're at. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. We're we'll looking at the battles that God's called you to fight. We're looking at battles that God's going to fight for you, battles that God tells you not to fight at all, and battles that God says, this one's on you. It's your battle. You do it. I'm going to stand back and let you have it. And that's what we're we'll going to be looking at over the course of the next couple of weeks. We join us as we close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace over our life. Father, may we all get to the point where we can change how we see battles. Be able to get to the point where we say, God, thank you for this battle that I'm having to go through right now. Thank you for this difficult season that you put before me. Father, may I come out on the other side with a greater understanding of who you are and who I am before you. 
of how much I am loved and the grace that you've shed over my life. Father, may we allow ourselves to realize whether or not we truly are ready for the next battle that we will face. May we have the maturity to go ahead and right now get in shape for it and prepare for it. Be able to realize that this life is not all there is. The rest we're looking for happens on the other side of eternity. In between now and then, there's going to be battle after battle after battle to fight. So may we be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.